Welcome to the Depth Chart Podcast. My name is Freddie Maggard. I'm joined by Nick Roush in Louisville, and Nick has a guest in studio. Uh, I've also joined by the two other has-beens on the podcast, Andy Murray, fullback, Jay Dortz, outside linebacker. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Nick Roush, you go first. Um, good. Good. We got Alex here showing him the podcasting ropes, and so he gets to get some podcasting information from – some of the best out there, and also Freddie Maggard. There you go. Jay, hey. you doing good, man? Good, good, man. Excited about uh, last week and then heading to, and to App State on Friday in North Carolina on Sunday to watch my dog play field hockey. So, yeah, it's all There good. you go. Andy, y'all off this weekend. We are off, and uh, we put a beat down on uh, Maryville last weekend that I thought would be a much tougher game. So, center's got a nice squad. Good. They're going to win some more games, that's for sure. Good deal. All right, let's get rolling, man. Um, Kentucky beats Missouri 35-28. Did so by not looking great, looked good. So much to improve on. Uh, But let's get focused on the Chattanooga Mocs. FCS or 1AA, however you want to call them, out of the Southern Conference. One-on-one in the season, lost to Austin Peay. 20-10 Twenty to ten in the opener, beat North Alabama twenty to nothing. Uh, go down the numbers. I mean, two sixty nine offensively allowing around the same defensively. Not a big play offense. On and on. So, Appalachian or not Appalachian State? Jay's got that in my mind. Uh, Montana beats Washington. ETSU beats Vanderbilt. Uh, on and on. There, there's been eight FCS teams that beat Power Five or or. or FBS teams this year's alone. I think Kentucky's going to win. I think that's 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 already decided in my in my opinion. But what would a positive win on Saturday look like to you guys? Is it 50 points? Is it play a lot of players? Is it is it to see Bo Allen get some game action, no turnovers? What is it? Jay Dorch, what do you want to see from the Cats against Chattanooga on Saturday? Strong fundamentals, uh, no mistakes. Uh, you know, clearly they uh, outmatch UT Chattanooga. Um, you know, we're we're a better team, man to man. Obviously, looks like they've got a, a, a decent defense. Maybe maybe the best we've faced so far. Possibly got a couple big playmakers on there. Um, but I just like to see them come out and play mistake-free football, strong fundamentals, uh, you know, 30-plus point win. Um, play, you know, don't show up flat. Come out and right from the start, uh, just jump on them and bury them. Uh, you know, that's something we haven't done well in the past. Yeah. Uh, this, this team needs to do that. They had the chance last weekend, didn't yeah, do it. And uh, this is something this team needs to start taking that identity and, and stepping on – you know, the throat when they can. Yeah, because Kentucky is not uh, not known as a team that finishes off opponents. And, and Mark Stoops talked about that. Should have finished off Missouri, had that fumble, uh, Chris Rodriguez fumble <laughs> in the end zone, could have gone up 28-7. Ball game is different at that point. 
Nick Roush, what, what do you want to see from the Cats on Saturday that would make you uh, come away from the game with a positive feeling going into South Carolina week? Uh, two things. Zero injuries. That's most important. Yeah. Uh, and second thing, zero turnovers. Tired of turnovers. Kentucky's offense has checked just about every box through the first two weeks of the season. Uh, they've really got the run game going last week. They've hit on explosive plays. Now you just got to take care of the damn football. Put two arms on it when you're near the goal line. You know, uh, three points of contact. Like, cover that ball up and, uh, you know, maybe take a little something off those slants, Will, because his interceptions are, I mean, they were identical. Same exact yeah. play, same route, same ball coming out 100 miles an hour slightly behind him. Take care of the football, Cats. Yeah, you know, to me it looked like, the Cummings, the, the pass that went off Cummings' hands, it was a little behind him, by the way, that mm -hmm. led to the interception by Missouri. Uh, I thought Kentucky went back to a similar, if not same play later, and I thought Cummings did a good job of settling down in that passing lane yeah. and not running running through the area. Got a first down. It. it was uh, third yeah. and ten, yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a development that's going to happen. Andy, what do you want to see from Kentucky Saturday against Chattanooga? I'm kind of with Jay. You know, I, I think – for so many years, we've gone in there and let teams like this play with us. And, you know, just sort of uh, – it, it to me, it needs to be a fan day and play for the fans and pound these guys, play clean, you know, have some explosive plays. Um, just get everybody excited about the future, not, not take a chance on having a little bit of a downer and going backwards. And – I, th I think from Saturday, you look at some of the things that happened in that game, and we have definitely erased our demons um, from a culture standpoint. I mean, there were so many times in that game Saturday where this team could have folded like some of our teams in the past, and they didn't. So I think that the next step for this team is to come out in this game, own these guys, take care of business, get a bunch of young guys some playing time, and make it about the fans and, and beat these guys – you know, like they should be beat. Turnovers are turnovers. I think if Kentucky turns the football over Saturday against Chattanooga, then we're looking at a we're looking at a trend. I, I don't think two games can, can constitute a trend yet, but you know, five turnovers uh, in total against ULM and Missouri is concerning. Andy, what, as a running back, as as a fullback, somebody that carried the football. Uh, on numerous occasions at the collegiate level, does it get in your head about not fumbling? And does that become – you become more mechanical and less fluid as a runner when you're focused on not fumbling? Talk us through that. You know, I, I, I think it can probably get in your head. I think um, the one thing about – you know, if you look at last year, that fumble in the um, old Miss game sort of turned the season. I mean, when A.J. Rose dropped that ball yeah. going into the end zone, our season kind of took a, a, a different swing after that play. And I think, you know, with Rodriguez fumbling the other day, he runs so aggressively and he is a punishing runner. And I think that kid's always looking for contact, which can be dangerous and holding on to the football um, because, you know, he's trying to run people over with his legs, his arms, his chest, you name it. He's trying to punish people. And that, that can kind of haunt him from a ball control standpoint. But, you know, I think it's I'm, – I'm with you. I mean, if, if we have turnovers this weekend, we, they're going to have to do something to address it. And what you can do, I, you know, again, it is probably more mental than anything, but um, I'm sure they do ball security all the time in practice. Um, 
you know, and it's, I, I wouldn't call it fluky, but um, there's definitely something in the mechanics that those guys, you know, just need to concentrate on. I, I forget who, one of the coaches last week said something about um, they have a rule on their team that nobody's allowed to reach for the goal line with the football. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's just, some, I think that's a lot of video and a lot of hype and you see kids doing that stuff all the time. It's almost, it's not showboating. Uh, but it's borderline showboating. I, I think just get the ball in the end zone and celebrate after the whistle. You know, I mean, yeah. these kids are almost celebrating before they get in the end zone. And reaching for the goal line is just, I don't know, reach reach for it with your face mask. You know, yeah, reach that's, for it with the ball. That's asking for trouble because if you fumble, yeah. the ball goes through the end zone, and that's a touchback. Jay has a defensive player that had to face Emmett Smith. I mean, so many other running backs. If you were facing – a running back on any given Saturday that had, had fumble issues. Did your tackling change as far as wanting to punch the football out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I look at that fumble last week in the first one, and I think sometimes a fumble just happens. I mean, that guy put his helmet right on the ball. Um, that's a tough. That's a tough scenario. You know, he's dragging people to the end zone. He's got a guy on his leg. Guy literally put his helmet right on the ball. I mean, sometimes that's just going to happen. The second one, you know, that's a case where it got punched out. And, I, you know, we certainly did look for that. And you knew if somebody carried around like a, like a uh, loaf of bread or, or carried away from their body, uh, that there was great opportunity. And so it would change your approach, uh, especially that number two guy coming in and number three guy coming in because you knew the likelihood you could possibly get a, get a turnover pretty quick. All right, sounds good. We're going to go into a segment called, Are You Concerned or Are You Not Concerned? Nick Roush, are you concerned that Kentucky has only produced one turnover in two games this season after leading the SEC with 22 last year? No, because they should have had two last week, two more. You had Jalen Geiger get alligator arms in the end zone. I think that's a little bit of a rookie mistake, you know, the moment being pretty big. He hasn't played a lot of football, so – I think in under normal circumstances, they're making that play. And Cedric Dort, he's got to he's got to be the heady senior and not give him that extra shot because it was a terrible pass. It was underthrown. Ty Agent there was ready to make the pick. Uh, so and, and and with the fumbles, you know the ball hasn't bounced Kentucky's way. I mean, I think they fumbled a screen pass and it just went right to the lineman. So you know uh, some of that stuff is to do with luck and it's going to go their way. But Kentucky's at least been in positions to make more turnovers. They just haven't finished the play yet. And I, and I think they ultimately will. Andy, are you concerned or not concerned about Kentucky's defense only producing one turnover so far? Um, I don't know that it's uh, – I thought they would produce some this past weekend just because of how much they were going to put the ball in the air. But um, that quarterback proved to be as probably as good a quarterback as we'll see all year and the running back as well. Uh, I'm kind of glad they're in the rearview mirror, really, that both of those kids almost took that game over. And um, But I, I, I kind of thought our defense would be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more um, uh, on the positive side with the turnovers just based on the experience they have. Um, but I, I wouldn't be concerned with it. I think, I think it will come. I think this defense gets better. That's the beauty of all of Stoops' teams, really. They do get better as the year goes on. 
um, I think you're going to see everything about our offense improve and our defense will just continue to improve. Um, that was a tough matchup last weekend. I didn't realize how, how tough that offense would be, but yeah. those two guys are special. Really yeah. special. Yeah. Jay Dorch, um, Jordan, we, uh, Jordan Wright goes out of the game. J.J. Weaver is on a pitch count. Don't want to play him too much. Are you concerned or not concerned about depth at the edge position for Kentucky because Devontae Robinson also playing that hybrid linebacker, nickel defender, he went out for injury. Are you concerned about the edge, uh, depth at edge for Kentucky? I a little concerned. Uh, however, that's kind of with an asterisk because I do think we've got some young guys you know, the Trevin Wallaces and, and uh, you know, Thrower and some guys that we can we can move around. And, and they seem to be just, you know, football rats. They, they, they want to just consume information and learn how to play the game, not just on the field, but cerebrally. And, and I just feel like that, that they're going to figure it out. And that's one of that's one of this, you know, Brad White and his team that they have a uh, – they are really good at, at developing players. And and uh, I think for the first time, we've got a lot of versatility in our second-level defense. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of different type of players. And, and you know, hopefully Wright comes back quickly and Devontae does as well. And and But I think we're in a position finally where we're, we're next man up. We've got talent. And, and uh, Brad White has shown uh, an ability to identify that talent and develop them and, get them in the right position. Um, and I think, you know, going back to the turnovers, I, I'm not that concerned about that either. I, I kind of align with, with Nick here. Um, you know, we've been, man, we've been spooled with, with uh, Lonnie Johnson and Westry and Eccles and all these guys uh, at, at the corner position, especially, and go back to Mike Edwards at safety. You know, now we, we have had an incredible secondary. Um, and these guys have a lot of experience. Most of them do on the corners but they don't have starting experience and they're still trying to find their feet uh, out there. And, and I feel like they're going to find that Denny and some playmakers going to uh, emerge and uh, we're going to, the turnovers take care of themselves. That leads me to my next uh, point, Nick Roush. Are you concerned or very concerned about death at corner? I'm concerned. Yeah. I, I, I think, like Kentucky's opponents are obviously going to attack that, you know. Yeah. I think on the bright side, and Jay brought it up to I don't I don't I don't know who said it, um, but I don't know how many quarterbacks are going to face that can exploit that at least for the next month. Uh, you know, most of the teams Kentucky's play, they're going to try to run the ball to win. Uh, they're going to run the win, and those safeties really can uh, cover up a lot of holes there, especially Yusuf Corker really cranks it up a couple notches. So that's why I'm keeping it just a concerned and not very concerned. Andy, how about you? Concerned or very concerned about the, the cornerbacks? You know, I, I don't know. I, I think I wouldn't be concerned just because I'm a big believer in every kid that they've brought in on that roster. They know what they're doing when they bring these kids in. Now, experience – is a little bit of a concern because that's, but from a talent standpoint, I don't think we have talent issues anywhere. I mean, I really think these guys are super um, at evaluating talent 
and the kids that we have on that roster, it's, it, you can see it when you, when they bring subs in. I mean, we, we just, we don't miss a beat when we substitute anymore. I mean, like Jay said, the depth is just unreal and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, we're putting these guys, I mean, we didn't put a lot of DBs in the NFL in the past. I mean, and DB was always kind of one of those spots where, you know, no offense to anybody that's played for Kentucky, but the defensive backfield was always a challenge for us. I mean, and that's something that I just think any kid he's got on that roster that he's going to put in is going to deliver. Um, yeah. Yeah. They might get burned once or twice, but they're not going to be a liability. Back yeah. Back. Right now, uh, Cedric Dort, Carrington Valentine starting cornerbacks. Uh, Valentine gets dinged up, has to leave the game. Quandre Mosley is a backup at both corner positions. He's played a lot of football for Kentucky. After that, the only available corner is Huey, the true freshman from Nashville. I would expect that, that there will be some experimentation at corner uh, Saturday against Chattanooga. Maybe move uh, Jalen Geiger over there or, or, or Ty Asian just to get some reps. <clears throat> so I think that's a possibility of what we could see. Uh, but the only concern I have is, is depth. 100% is, is depth. I think the talent is there for the for the available corners. I just don't think there's a lot of them to 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 play, and, and that's going to be a major concern uh, for me going forward. A lot of talk this week has been uh, surrounded uh, how good of a uh, job is the Kentucky is Mark Stoops or, or the, or how good of a, a job is for the Kentucky head coach. Uh, some have it as a top job in the country. Others it's the top five, top 10. Uh, where would you rate Nick Rouse, the Kentucky head coaching job, as far as the overall uh, opportunity, success, potential, where does, where does Kentucky rate in that list for you? I'm going to rate this as my least favorite talking point ever. This was something we did during COVID in July, okay? This is not something you do in week three. I know the USC coach got fired. He should have been fired last year. I don't know what they did keeping him around as long as they did. And all of these folks, like people, college football people get so caught up in the logos. And I at least do applaud the folks that point out the resources that Kentucky has because you th that's taking away the logos. Um, now, they do factor in because it causes people to move around. And I, I think the, the point I will say is that I would be happy if James Franklin did not take that job because I think Penn State might be one of the few out there that has enough appeal for Mark Stoops to consider it. Just because hey, it's got that traditional, you know, traditional powerhouse, quote unquote. It's close enough to where he recruits. So James Franklin, stay in Happy Valley. So Jay, if, if Franklin does go to USC, would Penn State be one of those jobs that Mark Stoops would consider? I don't see how you could say he wouldn't. I mean, he's going home. You know, it's uh, it's obviously a great job. I mean, it's a high-profile job, traditional power. Uh, I can't – I don't see how it wouldn't be appealing. But I do think that, you know, the underrated part about – you know, it's, it, you know they always point out that, gosh, you win eight wins a year and every now and then nine or ten, they build a statue after you and all that stuff and that the fan expectation isn't win the SEC or win the SEC East division. It's just, get you know, eight or nine, seven, eight, nine wins. Go to a bowl game, win, win a few of those, and you're good. 
And I think all that's kind of changing a little bit. But one of the one of the underwriting components of, of the job in in at UK is is where you live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is yeah. me. State you know, College yeah. stinks. That town. Well, somebody, I, I've traveled a bunch with my work uh, all across this country, and it's just fascinating as I've had people come here because they think of us as you know a bunch of hilljacks and no teeth and no shoes and marry <laughs> our sisters and all that stuff and. But it's fascinating when they come here and like, holy cow, man, this place is not only beautiful, but people right. are nice. The cost of living is half of where I am. And, you know, there's stuff to do in Lexington. It's not there, just a college town, you know, there is. And then, you know, the, if somebody was at, if I was, you know, they would consider me for the head coaching job and said, you know, the like, guys, this is a great job. And I would say, well, it depends on if I got Vince Merrill with me. I mean, yeah. If I don't have if I don't have the right recruiting coordinator and the right staff, it could be a crappy job. I mean, yeah, you know, I, it's all there's so many subjective components to that that question or that statement um, that is it's it's just tough to talk about. You know. Yeah, I, I agree, Jay, and I think I think you hit it. You just going you brought up the point that I was going to mention. State College versus Lexington is a is an advantage of Lexington, you know, <laughs> I mean, if you're in state college, that's like being in training camp year round. I mean, it's not football. That's it. Right. In Lexington, you, you have different avenues to, you know, for socialization as far as Keeneland, so many other attractions. Heck, Stoops, little, Stoops yeah. has his own distillery now. Yeah. Yeah. He has his own. <laughs> that's why I, I, I don't, I think he's here to stay until he's done with coaching because there's so many factors within well, the community of Lexington. Think about, think about this, too. You know, when we played, how many players came from north of Cincinnati? Not many. Few. No. Not many. No. And you think about what they've done. They, they've sold the, the number one conference in the country by far, and they're going up and they're taking players away from Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Why? Everybody wants to play in the SEC. Well, gosh, you're within driving distance. Your family can come there and watch you play. You know, it's it's a, I mean, it is a great recruiting pitch when you start looking at things like that. Andy, what's your take on all this? Well, it's funny. I think it was the worst, one of the worst jobs in the country before he took it. And for all the yeah. reasons that you all have highlighted. And I'll be forever grateful to this guy for teaching Kentucky people what real football is and going mm -hmm. to Ohio. I mean, we... We had nobody on our roster from Ohio, maybe two guys. And you talk about a roadmap success. I mean, he laid it out, and he didn't care what star rating anybody was. They pitched our program, and he's proven to be a, an unbelievable uh, talent developer. And I think the pressure here versus the pressure uh, at a Penn State, uh, there's no comparison. Um, and – I think his brother will be the first one to tell him. I think Bob Stoops, what was he at Oklahoma for 18 yep. years? Yep. Won a national championship in his second year and really was a non-factor after that. I mean, they they went to some big bowls and all that, but they weren't uh, necessarily a juggernaut in the national rankings and, and pushing for the championship every year. And the guy stayed 18 years. And I think, I think it'll go back to how the guy was raised. I don't think he is a – um, about flash and all that. I think he loves what he's doing and I think he loves this area and everybody's embraced him. And, and there's a pride factor with him too, that he's going to go down in history as the winningest coach in the school's history. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, we, 
you know, bowl games are a, a regular part of everybody's holiday plans now. I mean, that's just, it's it's just awesome what he's done. And I, I don't think the guy walks from it. You know, and he, what's he going to make next year? He's making almost $6 million, isn't he? I don't know. But, I, you know, I, t- I take my media hat off and put my fan and alumni hat on, hats on, and I hope he never leaves. I love the guy. I want him to stay forever. I mean, that's just, that's just my opinion. Uh, uh, Freddie, next- I got a question, though, since we're yeah. talking about Penn State. We're going to hear a bunch of stuff about how the whiteout game, they're whiting out against Auburn this weekend. Many people will tell us that it is the best atmosphere to watch a college football game. Are they wrong, Freddie? Huh. Hey, guys. Uh, before I, you, I, I'm going to have to jump off, guys. I got some stuff cooking here I got to take care of. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you guys have a great week. Thanks for having me again. Go Cats. Uh, Cats by 90 this weekend. We'll see y'all. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, Thanks, yeah, love it, brother. All right, man. You too. Nick, I, I, I've always said that a night game at LSU was the best environment that I'd ever seen uh, until I went to Texas A&M. I mean, I, I've got to see – I have to see it personally uh, to see anything that would beat Texas A&M. Kyle Field, that, that was a that was a tremendous, tremendous environment. So, I don't know. I, I've never been to Penn State, but the best one I've ever seen is Texas A&M. Yeah, I, I've – Texas A&M is just different, you know. Yeah. It, it really is. I've done LSU at night. But the game, I mean, it also helped that the game I went to at Texas A&M was an overtime football game. You know, I, I yeah. think there's a, a, a little bit of difference there. Um, one thing that we got a glimpse of, and even though they aren't a good football team, I really think Florida State with Chief Osceola and the Tomahawk Chops is pretty cool. I just – the Big Ten whiteout thing, I, something about Penn State just rubs me the wrong way. And so I, I don't know if it's James Franklin, but it, I just, I don't like it. Uh, so uh, I, I would, I would rather call Baton Rouge than at night than have to deal with stupid whiteout in the big 10 or jump around in Wisconsin. I'd rather do that. I just Penn state, they can kick rocks. Yeah. You know, Florida is a good environment too, as far as a home team. A sneaky good one in South Carolina. I mean, that, that yeah, place gets yeah. crazy. That when Sandstorm's playing, that press box bounces, yeah. you know. Yeah. Jay, uh, Penn State, best environment in college football? Well, I guess um, I've never – I'm like Nick. I've never been um, – I'll say you're saying uh, as far as like a viewing, look, looking cool and amazing, and as they got the drone flying over and all the white pom-poms, and yeah, I mean, it's – it looks absolutely incredible, uh, but I'm I'm aligned with uh, with LSU and, and then Florida too. You know, people don't remember, but uh, Florida was turf when we were playing. Yeah, and it was awful. People, people was don't understand terrible. how close, literally, how close the the uh, student section is to yeah. the, the bench. And uh, when we were down there the last time we played down there. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sitting on the bench with my roommate, Christian Hall, and the offense is on the field. We're sitting there, and, and these dudes literally right behind us were pelting Chris in the uh, helmet with uh, uh, ice. 
And next thing I know, I turn around and literally Chris is going into the stands uh, <laughs> after, and I'm going after with him. We're literally as defense, we're going up into the stands uh, to help protect Chris and, and maybe maybe get a few shots in. But, uh, <laughs> when when that sound reverberates off that turf down in the swamp, wow, there's not a, there's not a lot like it in, in LSU. You know, the thing about LSU though, as a player. It is, the stadium is pretty far off the field. Yeah, it's not yeah, right yeah. on top of you. Um, but I, it's hard to go against LSU, you know, I think. I mean, night game, when those, those coon asses have been drinking for 12 <laughs> hours. Because uh, when, when we play, I don't know if you remember, Freddie, but uh, we had the TBS game of the week, which is 11.30 Eastern time, yeah. a.m., 10.30 a.m. They were so mad. Cause yeah. They, I mean, they couldn't tailgate like they normally do. But Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, it, the smells, everything is different down there. You can smell the, the Cajun food, which is tremendous, by the way. Maybe the Mississippi hungry. River kind of gets that yeah. stink on you. Yeah. I just thought it was, I just thought it was pretty awesome. But yeah. uh, preparing for this podcast, uh, any given Sunday was on television this morning. Yeah. Which, which leads Steaming to our next Willie topic. Beeman. Next topic. What is your favorite football movie? And why can football movies never get actors that can throw the football? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jay, what, what, what is your favorite football movie? Oh, man, you're going to laugh when I say it, but it's probably maybe because of my past. Uh, but Rudy, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, you want to make me cry. You know, put Rudy on it every time, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably Rudy. They don't show a lot of quarterbacks in that one. No, they yeah. don't. No. I think Vince Vaughn, isn't he like the – I don't think he's the quarterback, though. No, he, he's a running back. Nick, a yeah. little, little history on Jay. Jay came to UK as a walk-on from Paducah Tillman and worked his way into a starting outside linebacker and was put on scholarship. So, uh, that that's why he went the Rudy route. What's yours, Nick? Mine's Friday Night Lights, and it's kind of – similar in that you know it came out when i was in high school the music and it's great and i really like the fact that like even though that they fight for this comeback the things still don't go their way and they don't end maybe it's because i lost the state championship game too but i like the realism in it because like there's nothing like that that pain that kind of emotion that's what sports do, does. Like it just amplifies your emotions. And I think for a lot of guys too, who are, you know, learning how to become men, you got to learn how to deal with those emotions. And uh, that's what that movie it kind of taught me, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't just the partying and all the stuff. It was the, the emotion that goes into to high school football. I think mine is all the right moves. Uh, it's an old, old football movie with Tom Cruise in it actually as a, as a cornerback. Uh, it was about a steel town in Pennsylvania, you know, going on hard times. And, it, you know, it kind of fit where I was from with the coal declining as I was, mm-hmm. I was going through high school. And the only, you know, uh, us versus them mentality as far as when we travel, it was the, it was the community's play, air community playing y'all's community. So, uh, but, but a close second for me is Brian's song. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, Nick. I, 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 I don't want to cry. Okay, so I refuse to watch it. Talk yeah, Brian. Holy cow. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we, we were playing the state championship game, and the movie that our coaches showed us was Brian's song. So, oh, that'll know, get you fired of, up for the game. <laughs> instead of tearing the doors off, you know, we were all crying. Uh, 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 injuries are a part of football, and unfortunately, and they happen. And depth is, is developed through recruiting. Players are developed through coaching. Kentucky's a great pro, uh, developmental uh, program. Other than Will Levis, uh, who is the offensive player that Kentucky could least afford to lose, Nick Roush? Wondell. They're just – him and Will, they're just uh, – they're, they're just uh, – you can't replicate that stuff. I mean, I know Chris Rodriguez is an absolute bowling ball, and I know Luke Fortner is – one of those guys who does a lot more than we give him, you know, credit for, but Wandell and will just do things that Kentucky doesn't have other players on the roster that can do those things. Like will Levis is lowering his shoulder on blaze Aldridge and just blowing him back. Like, yeah. Bo Allen ain't doing that. You know, uh, Josh Ali, he, he's got some juice to him, but he doesn't have the same kind of juice as Wandell. Jay Dorch. I'm going to go see Rod. I think yeah. C. Rod. I was got Fortner came to mind first, but yeah. I think I think they've done such an amazing job of recruiting offensive linemen and developing them. And I mean, the depth there is just incredible, even though there's a lot of youth. But um, I think without C. Rod, our our identity changes drastically, and uh, the ability to to have a run, no matter who's on the other side of the ball. Uh, have a run set up the pass and then having an actual play action pass um, attack. We can't do it without him. And I know that there are some young guys are talking about, you know, Lavelle Wright or whoever, but, you know, Smoke is as much as I like him. And it's kind of that uh, boom, Benny combination. Um, you saw a lot of juice out of Smoke, you know, last week. I mean, he's, he seems faster, seems more physical. Um, but I, I think C-Rod's the guy for me. You mentioned my guy, Luke Fortner. I think he does so much from the center position. He brings a wealth of experience. And I think replacing uh, a legend at Kentucky like Drake Jackson is, it, it takes a special player not only on the field but off. Uh, you know, Luke is a super senior, has three degrees from Kentucky already and, and just uh, is very smart. I think he does a lot for that offense uh, uh, defensively. Nick, who who is the defensive player that Kentucky could least afford to lose to injury? Uh, Josh Pascal. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, and I, I just, I the the defensive line wasn't the most disruptive last week, and I just can't imagine what it'd be like without Pascal in there. They're, they just Jay. not not other guys built like him. Yeah, Jay. For me, it's John DeAndre Square. I just, I just feel like that guy. Um, yeah. You know, he leads not in the same way that Pascal does, but the way he runs the defense, uh, his experience and knowledge, and um, I just think, I just think he's invaluable. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with, uh, I'm gonna go with JJ Weaver, uh, even though he, he's on a. He, he, He's on a pitch count as far as plays that he, he's in on games, but but he accounts for 36% of Kentucky's quarterback sacks to this point. Uh, and tackles for leads the team and tackles for loss. I mean, he's, 
he is Kentucky's explosive dynamic defender. And, and without him, I think you even, you even lessen that pass rush that's really not been there or wasn't there against Missouri. It was against ULM, but that's a different uh, different type of game. But uh, I'm going to go with J.J. Weaver. Jay, the, uh, the game this week is not on television. It's on ESPN Plus or SEC <laughs> Plus. Have you figured that out? Are you going to be able to watch it or are you going? Well, I'm not going. I'll be in North Carolina watching my daughter play field hockey. Um, so definitely want to tune in. And so I saw something in the SEC Network Plus. Um, so I did what most 55-year-old men would do is I called my son and daughter and asked them <laughs> to figure it out for me and type it out on a sheet of paper. So when I'm down in North Carolina, I can figure it out. Uh, Nick, see, I mean, y'all think I'm crazy because I can't figure this crap out. That's a perfect example, you know? Yeah, no, no. I, I totally get it because even me, I like I don't have it set up. And I'm, you know, supposed to be one of these guys that knows what he's doing. So it would take me a little bit of effort to, to get it rolling. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, young people out there that can that can help. If, if you need a hand, Freddie, I know you got plenty of – uh, nieces out there that might owe you one or two, but I, hey, I'd be I'd be happy to come over and help you get it set up. Here's the deal: there's going to be a lot of ticked off people this week about this. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you right now, and it's please listen to me. This is not UK's decision. Yeah, it's so FCC. This is this, this is not a UK problem. This is not SEC a UK money grab. This is an ESPN SEC money grab, which I think is ridiculous in the year 2021 that American football, SEC football, has to be put on one of these platforms that it's not on normal TV. I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. I think it's ridiculous for many reasons. Kentucky, I mean, if you put this on this kind of platform, you're expecting your viewing audience to have high-speed Internet access. Well, there's a large portion of Kentucky that does not have that. Right. And then right. you take take into consideration people, Jay, you know, the same age as Jay and I are older that are not tech savvy. You got to realize, Nick, Jay and I went through high school and college without the Internet. It wasn't invented yet. Wait, you know, Al Gore may have invented it, but it wasn't available <laughs> right, to the right. world yet. Right. Right. So a lot of people have aren't, aren't tech savvy. That's just that's no slam on us. That doesn't mean we're not smart. It's just it just means that. It's just not – we're not familiar with it. We're not comfortable with it. It's awkward to me. And the fact that I have to work this hard to watch a football game is embarrassing in my point of view. And, you know, I, I, I take a couple considerations. You know, I have family members that live in extremely rural areas. They're not going to have internet to support this. They have internet, but it's not. It's going to freeze. It's not going to look good. My sweet 84-year-old aunt looks forward every Saturday to watching Kentucky on TV – I, she may think I still play. I don't know. But there's no way she can figure this out. And there's no way I can figure it out to show her. You know, things like that. I, I just don't think in today's age and times that we should make it difficult for people to support their football team, especially if that football team is in the Southeastern Conference. I think this is a tremendous fail by ESPN. I think it's a fail by SEC by the SEC. I totally agree. 
Yeah, yeah, and sadly, this won't be the. This is the first, and it, it won't be the last. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's stupid. I think it's tragic, and I just think it's wrong. But anyway, uh, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox. It's uh, okay, Freddie. I don't. I don't blame you. Um, yeah. I, I think we got somebody special we're talking to today too. We do. We'll get to that after our picks for the Kroger KSR game of the week. Jay Dorch. Covington Catholic goes to Beachwood. Beachwood's the number one ranked team at 2A, top five team overall. Cuff Catholic uh, produced Michael Mayer, who's at Notre Dame, won a state championship uh, or two here recently. Cuff Catholic Beachwood, who you got? Yeah, Beachwood, man. I'm going with Jonesy, our old teammate. <laughs> Beachwood, man. I got to go with him. It's, the guy's heels never touch the ground, literally. Am I right? <laughs> Man, he looks so uncomfortable walking Walked up around. on his tippy toes, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Roush, who you got? Cupcats and Beachwood. I got Beachwood, too. Uh, first ever Mr. Football back with uh, Cam Hurt, yeah. the quarterback there. And I think, too, when you're the smaller school, Beachwood, going up against the bigger private school in the area, you're playing with a chip on your shoulder. They ain't losing this game. Yeah, I was told uh, uh, to get there extremely early because this thing's a sellout and it's going to be a, a wild environment. I'm going with Cameron Hergott, the quarterback from Beachwood, reigning Mr. Football. Uh, I, I know EKU is offered. I hope he gets some more offers. He's, he's a fantastic player. Uh, covered his game last year in the state championship. Uh, so there's that. Kentucky, the spread. Has it been announced, Nick Roush? No, they usually don't roll out the FCS ones like a day before. Yeah, okay. So we, we can't pick that one. But I, I'm sure we all take Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. I just I just hope we don't have to piddle fart around with them. And you know, Kentucky, they like to play with their food in these games. So just yeah, go out fast like you did against Missouri. Take care of business. Hey, Jay, we're going to talk to my cousin next. My first cousin. This dude is a Ph.D., at NASA. He started working for NASA when he was 19 years old. Other than the, I, I, how, how, how can we be related is my question, Jay. <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> Here I am complaining about being able to figure out how to watch an ESPN plus football game. And this dude is is working on the International Space Station. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we're first cousins. We're not distant cousins. We're first cousins. So I, I, I listen, it is what it is, man. That, that's just that's that's crazy to me. But Jay, thanks for joining us, brother. And uh, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week, Nick. Uh, uh, we got uh, Dr. Philip Mead coming up, and uh, he's got a book that just came out, and it's uh, already sold out, hard copy. And uh, doing really well. So, Jay, you, uh, you'll be interested in this book. It's about the, the culture within NASA after the uh, the space shuttle tragedy, and, wow. and he led he led the he led the NASA study into the organizational culture following that. So, fascinating stuff. Yeah, good stuff, man. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Have a great week. All right, Jay. Take Thanks. care, Thanks. and uh, let's get to it. All right, we're joined, uh, Nick, by my cousin, Dr. Philip Mead, who I've talked about frequently on this podcast. Every family has that one guy that, uh, you know, a guy or gal that everybody's proud of. And Dr. Philip Mead is that in their family. Uh, I, I thought PhD. that was you, Freddie. No, 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 no. That, 
that didn't last very long. I only had three years of fame. So uh, your, your longevity has, has, has made you that, that way. But before we get talking about the, uh, the book that you, uh, you've written, The Missing Links, uh, Launching a High-Performing company, company Culture, I'd like to introduce, you know, the Big Blue Nation to you. So you went to uh, Bryan Station High School. Then take us from there to where you are today. So it was, uh, it was Lafayette. Oh, I'm sorry, Lafayette. I want to represent my alma mater there. There you go. Lafayette High School. And then uh, from there, uh, enrolled in uh, University of Kentucky, Big Blue. Uh, it was always, you know, growing up there in Lexington, I was a huge fan of the Kentucky Wildcats, dreamed of, uh, dreamed of UK growing up um, my whole life. And uh while I was going to school there, I learned about this program called the co-op program. It's uh, it's kind of like an internship, and uh, um, through that, um, I was I was going to school for electrical engineering. Um, I applied to uh, the Kennedy Space Center down at uh, down in Florida for NASA um, to be a, an intern down there, and uh, started going back and forth um, every other semester going down to, to Florida and, and working with them and then coming back to school and going to school for a semester, then back to Florida and working for a semester. And so when I graduated, they, they hired me and uh, I guess the rest kind of is history. So um, really started with NASA when I was 19 years old. So, so I got 30, 30 years with NASA uh, working with them, um, done a lot of really, really awesome things, worked on a lot of cool programs, helped to build the international space station and, uh, Worked uh, worked on the shuttle program and um, more recently helped to uh, with this recent conversion into a multi-user spaceport. So uh, so yeah, d- done a lot of a lot of great things with them. So engineering degree from Kentucky, then your master's and PhD was that is that Central Florida? Yeah, University of Central Florida. NASA NASA sent me uh, um, to uh, to UCF for that. So my master's degree is in uh, engineering management. Um, you know, shortly after starting with with uh, NASA, I realized I was doing more project management and uh, really leading teams than I was, you know, designing and and actual engineering work. And uh, so I wanted to get more education on that, and that's that's what I got into. And then uh, decided to just go on from there, and, and I got a PhD in industrial engineering. And uh, and that's what my my PhD is in, and um, specializing in in technology strategy. Oh, nice! Hope they take down the cards tomorrow night. Woohoo! Let's go! <laughs> Nick, yeah, yeah. Nick. Now, now they're moving into the uh, the Big Twelve too, right? Hold on, Nick. He he just talked about working on helping helping design the space shuttle, uh, the what's that called, the uh, International Space Station, mm-hmm. the shuttle, and you're going straight to uh, Central Florida against Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Freddie, you know how my brain works. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is technically a football podcast, but we do have, I, I'm my big question that I have for the, the smart one in your family, Freddie is Dr. Mead. I have this because you said you worked on all these different things. I think of when I think of NASA, I just imagine the Apollo 13 set. What, what are the, some of the bigger misconceptions that I think us, normal folks have of nasa so so yeah the biggest misconception i think i think there's two um uh, one is a one is a positive for for nasa and one is kind of a negative Uh, i'd say the positive you know that puts nasa in a positive light is until you go down there 
Um, I don't think the average human understands the scale of things. And so when, when you see things like the shuttle and the, the VAB, the, the vertical assembly building, when you see all that stuff on TV, everything is big. And so when you see a big thing next to a big thing, you don't realize how big everything is together. But when you walk up to it as a, you know, a normal sized human being and you're standing next to it and you just look up at it, you're like, holy cow, this thing is just, it's massive. And so the, the size and scale of everything, once you get down there and see it in person, I don't think most people realize just the, the sheer magnitude of all of it. Um, and so I think that's one misconception. I think the other misconception is, and this is, was a big one for me when I, when I arrived as this, you know, fresh faced 19 year old kid, I was expecting, you know, stuff from, from, you know, Star Trek, right. With the doors that made the sounds that opened and all of this futuristic stuff. And, and I arrived to, um, you know, buildings that were built in the fifties and sixties with, you know, battleship gray steel desks and you know uh, uh, we're, we're slowly upgrading and modernizing a lot of that stuff but but a lot of it is also you know it's it's government so it's it's a lot of it is government buildings <laughs> you know so it's <laughs> Freddie, you probably know that from your time in the military right I mean, yeah absolutely yeah absolutely um the challenger was it was a tough uh tough situation for for all americans for the world really and, and your book, uh, The Missing Links, deals with a lot of issues as far as organizational culture within NASA following that. Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was uh, the, the, the Space Shuttle Columbia accident um, was the, the second of the two um, accidents that we had. And what happened was that a, a piece of foam fell off of the external tank, which is a, the giant orange um, fuel tank that's on the, the belly of the orbiter. And that happened about 81 seconds after, after launch. And um, we, we saw the, the piece of foam fall off and we'd had foam falling off of that tank. You know, it was insulated because it's got all that, that you know, cryogenic fluid inside of it. And, and so, the, the pieces of foam had been falling off, which is part of the problem. We we kind of gotten used to that foam falling off for a while, and and we we convinced ourselves that it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, this one hit the leading edge of the wing instead of the the belly of it, and so it was a kind of a direct hit. But all we could see was this sort of a poof as it hit and blew up, so we couldn't tell exactly what what happened, and so. The, the shuttle got up into, into orbit and it flew around for 16 days and um, we didn't really know what the extent of the problem was. And we, you know, the, the cultural issues, which is really the, the accident investigation board, um, what they found after they conducted the, the, you know, the review, they spent months going through, you know, looking at what caused this accident. Um, the accident didn't occur until reentry because, you know, all of that friction from the atmosphere as it's coming back in caused uh, the superheated gases to go inside of that wing and basically just disintegrate the, the shuttle over, over Texas and Louisiana on reentry. And it, it killed all seven astronauts. And, and the, the, the Columbia Accident Investigation Board said that as much as the foam that hit the leading edge of the wing, it was NASA's culture that caused this. And so they said we weren't allowed to launch another shuttle until we we figured out how we could fix that the culture. 
Um, and so that's when I was asked to lead all of those, those cultural and organizational changes at Kennedy Space Center for Return to Flight. And, um, you know, that was, that was really terrifying, honestly, because one of the challenges I had was it was, it seemed like it was a great place to work. It was, it wasn't toxic by my definition. You know, there weren't people screaming at people. There wasn't, you know, people goofing off on the job. There were a whole bunch of really smart, dedicated people that we had to force to take vacation time. It was, you know, how do I, how do I fix this problem? And so that's really what led to the, the creation of this book and the, and the model itself was all of the work that I did to, to try to dig into what is this thing called organizational culture and how does it work? How can you take an, an organization where it seems like a great place to work? Um, in fact, we were rated the best place in the federal government to work right before the act um, and yet the culture can still lead to an accident to kill seven people and so that's that's really what what the the crux of the book is about now with, with the book and, and then with your speaking series and motivational speaking it's targeted towards companies businesses athletic organizations you name it right yeah yeah because you know at the end of the day it's 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 it comes down to human beings and, and it's about human beings at the, at the core. And, and that's what, what creates these, these environments because an organization it's, it's a system, but it's not an, just any kind of system. It's not like your car, right? It's a, it's a complex dynamic system. It's, it's adaptive. Um, I was actually looking at it. It, it made me smile. I, I saw your, your logo for your depth chart, um, for your, you know, and it's got the, it's got the cool, you know, the physics for the, for the football being thrown that we actually have that, that picture is in our book. We used a rock instead of a football. Sorry, we didn't use the football now. Um, <laughs> but, but that's one of the examples that we use is that with a normal system, you know, you can use that physics equation and you can calculate if you know all of those variables, you can calculate exactly where that football is going to land. Right. That's a that's a normal system. But if you think about an organization, it, instead of being a football in there, you're inserting a bird. Right. And so if you toss a bird in the same way, the bird, it, it has its own brain. It's going to it's going to adapt to whatever you're doing to it. Well, an organization has human beings in it and that human those human beings, they've got they've got free will. They've got the, the mind of their own. And so whenever you as a leader, you're trying to do things, you put them in an, an organizational system and you say, okay, we're going to go this way. We're going to do these things. Well, you know, people begin to adapt because uh, they, they feel things They're they're under pressures and they've got ideas of their own and they've got their own, um, you know, personalities. They've got their own issues that they're dealing with their own defensiveness starts to come up. And so, Sometimes they're not even aware of it. And so a big part of what we help to do is help help people and organizations uncover those defense, that defensiveness and increase that self-awareness so they can even see what's happened and what's going on for them. Nick, seriously, I can't figure out how to watch UK's football game because it's on ESPN Plus. And this is my first cousin. How is yeah. it possible? The apples, they, they fell on different sides of the tree. One rolled down the mountain and <laughs> in, in, into the creek. <laughs> oh, Dr. Mead, how can we find your book? It, it's on Amazon. Um, you know, it's, uh, 
We uh, we've had some really good success with it. It was uh, it, it opened as a you know a, an Amazon bestseller, and um, and uh, we're we're marketing it right now. The the it's a uh, ninety nine cents for the e version right now for a limited time. So you can you can grab it um, if you want to pick it up that way. Um, I think we're I think we may be sold out of the the hard copies at the moment, but we'll be getting more of those in. Um, so you can uh, put your order in to, to get one of those as soon as they come back in stock. But uh, you can find it on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, I think most of the most of the major bookstores. But well, thank you for joining us. I, I you know, I, I'm incredibly proud of you, and and I'm fascinated about this book. And and I hope you're going to hook your cousin up and send one this way. And, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But thank you for joining us. I mean, I was, yeah. Nick, Nick it's, that's fascinating to me. It, it's great to meet you, too. I've heard so much about you. Uh, unfortunately, we never got to hear you school, Jared, on why the moon landing was real. But don't worry. I The, the moon landing was real. You, I, you have at least two in your camp here now that are not crazy conspiracy theory. Job. All right. Good. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Well, thank you for listening to this week's Step Chart Podcast. I hope... Uh, I hope we expanded your horizons with, with some fascinating talks from Dr. Mead uh, about NASA, about uh, the shuttle uh, tragedy there, and about his book, The Missing Links. We appreciate you listening, and we hope you like us and, and subscribe and tell your friends about us. And we'll talk to you next week.